gentle listener, and welcome to a very special episodes of Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. Uh, this this episode is our multiverse edition. Um, and also, it isn't. And also, that's the last time we need to make that joke, right, Michael? Uh, see, this was maneuvering on my part, because, like, if you had said yes, then I'm the only one who gets to make that joke, and I just, like, cut you off at the pass. <laughs> Uh, but you defeated me using a single syllable, so, uh, very Shakespearean of you. Um. I know. Who are you, by the way, Michael? Uh, well, currently, right here, right now, in this place, and in this time, I am Michael Lilienthal. Uh, how are you gonna introduce (laughs) yourself when we get to the Midnight Library, Michael? (laughs) I guess we'll have to wait and see. Because if it's exactly the same way, that doesn't feel in the spirit of the whole proceeding. <laughs> no. I realized I didn't say no, my name no, in doesn't. this universe. I am Ethan Bartlett. And uh, <laughs> we decided to do a multiverse special because, like, multiverses are fun to talk about. Um, and we had some examples mm-hmm. uh, that we wanted to use or to, to talk about, I guess, Um and just introduce the concept of multiverses, though, like, you know, if you're, like, someone especially who's read anything, even, like, science fiction adjacent that was published in the last, like, mm-hmm. 50 years, though maybe even more than that, like, you probably know. Also, if you, like, have kept up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all, um, which mm-hmm. is, like, a lot of people, I think, still. Or have watched, like anything also sci-fi adjacent yeah yeah on tv or movie yeah like you probably know um so like that said i just want to get right out front here at the at the top and say we are gonna not talk about the thing you want us to talk about like when i say multiverse gentle listener whatever thing pops to your mind we're not gonna talk about that thing which i say only because like there are dare i say like a multiverse's worth of you know, again, between film, TV, yeah. and, and uh, uh, literature, there's, like, so many artifacts that touch on this, employ this, talk about this, etc. Like, whatever thing you want us to talk about, chances are very high that we won't get to it. Um, and, like... Now, I, I do want to, like, put this caution out there because there is a chance that there is something that is very... Like in the the like the top of the barrel, so to speak, of multiverse stuff that we might touch. Right. On. I'm just trying to manage uh, expectations here because, like, well, that's yeah. true. I just, I just, this is this is only going because I have the the reins of power in this show, and like I get to do what I want. I'm I'm getting to like work out my pet peeve, sort of, um, in a in a public forum. Mm-hmm. Always the best thing to do. Um, but I just have this pet peeve when uh, I see articles online where they're like, let's talk about this topic in fiction. And like the article goes through and never promises to be like an exhaustive listing of all the things in this genre. Oh, yeah. And this, you know, the article will go through and be like, here are 12 examples of this very specific subgenre. Um, and then mm-hmm. the first comment on that article or reddit post or whatever it is is always always going to be some self-righteous <laughs> you know what being like what no fill in the blank of 
specific thing in this genre that I like the most. And it's just like, yep. I don't know. It's just a self-righteous tone. It's like, okay, yeah, suggest, say like, it oh, is. this is another example. A lot of people really like this, whatever. But that self-righteous tone of like, why would you possibly not include the thing I specifically want you to include? Um, and the answer is because that's your assignment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that's your homework. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and we even have like a whole homework thing. Um, right. Where you so, like, can make us do your homework. Exactly. So. so that Reddit commenter, you can just say, write this one. Do, do this homework. Do this one. Talk do, about yes. this. Here's your homework. Do the do the thing I really like. And yeah. like, we won't we not do it. Um, <laughs> uh, see, I did say we won't not pretty specifically. Because like, blanket promising to do a thing that like anyone who is on the internet potentially has access to Seems like pretty bad operational yeah, security to me. See, here's the thing, Ethan. We we control that website, so like if there's a comment or something on there that we don't like, we can just delete it. So, oh, and pretend we didn't get it, and then and it's like exactly. anything. Okay, it's like oh, wow. it must have gotten lost in the internet somewhere. But you know, we'll Listen, call this out. So, that's, I was uh, playing 3D chess, and I was accusing <laughs> you of playing 2D chess when you were playing 4D chess. No, I was um, playing poker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Um, well, I think we're about four minutes in, and this is the first time I'm saying I hate you, so uh, it's been a pretty cordial episode so far. Fantastic. Uh, anyway, before we, uh, you know, hop into some multiverses, Michael, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a Rancho Campo Cabernet Sauvignon 2019. Excellent. And I am drinking a Vicious Mockery cocktail, which is uh, based on the spell from Dungeons & Dragons, um, with uh, rum. Well, the original cocktail involves a muddled orange, rum, Jägermeister, uh, and bitters. Uh, I didn't have the muddled orange. Um, I've got some orange bitters, however, that went into it. And instead of Jägermeister, I did a little bit of absinthe, because that's mm. better. Um, yeah. And I have an old-fashioned. Now, I will say all of these are um, small portions. <laughs> I see. Got out ahead of my next comment. Um, just, Each just of was them gonna... is like three, uh, not three quarters, like half to a quarter size. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. A normal sure. cocktail. Um, I mean, whatever excuses you got to make. So, uh, but, yes. Is there a reason you're triple fisting? A phrase I've been... Excited to say since you introduced your third cocktail. <laughs> um, just because we're talking about multiverses, so I'm, I'm covering the gamut. <laughs> wow. I'm so angry at you right now. Um, I am committed, Ethan. I am committed. That's one word for it. Uh... <laughs> or I should be. <laughs> or you will be. <laughs> or I will be. <laughs> um well uh interesting and, and as much as i want to ridicule you for your life choices i guess i'll instead just talk about what i'm drinking yes which please. is a cocktail um that i got out of the i think it was the wow i can't remember the name of the cocktail book it's a it's one of the like cocktail books i use the most and i just blanked on the Oof. on the name I think it was the no 
it's named after a hotel in New York City. And it's like their cocktail book that was published in the last few years, but it was like based on a bunch of their old cocktail books. Um, anyway, this is a pretty old recipe, I believe. And in the book that I got it from, whose name I can't remember, it is called the Brandy Cocktail Number no. Two. Ah, um, nice. And it is just equal parts brandy and uh, dry vermouth with a little bit of orange bitters thrown in. Um, mm. Which is a wild recipe by modern standards. Um, and that's part of why I think it's old. Because, like, in the 19th century, martinis were, like, equal parts gin and vermouth. Um, whereas now it's usually, like, 8 to 1 or 10 to 1 or whatever. Um, and, and you got to have the right brandy for this one like some some brandies i've tried it with it just doesn't it just tastes like a mess and some it really works quite well um and the brandy that i have made this one with is called it's my like recent favorite brandy discovery it's called homage it's spelled like homage or homage um mm. but with the the h left out mm-hmm. um and as i understand i think it's like a fairly new ish distillery but like they produce this brandy and it's it's just marked brandy you know very special the sort of you know youngest grade of brandy usually um but in at least in my market it's like under 30 dollars anywhere i find it but it's like an amazing like i really like it both for cocktails and just for straight sipping so um mm-hmm. continuing the michael and ethan tradition of a uh, plugging uh liquors that we are not getting paid to plug at all right right um but, but yeah, we would continue uh, to plug them if we were paid that's true we might plug them even harder and more um i have some jokes to make about what i just said but this is a family podcast <laughs> uh, or is it i mean in this universe it is that's true so michael very soon i'm a, i'm gonna throw it over to you because okay um, you are bringing a story to this episode that I tried my best to read, um, and failed. <laughs> um, and more to the point, my public library failed me. Um, oh, no. And I am going to blame them, even though I hadn't set foot in their doors probably in like, well, no, maybe once or twice. Anyway, I hadn't set foot in there in a long time, and I just assumed that they still had the subscription to the magazine that your story is in, that they'd had mm-hmm. like eight years ago when I last looked for that magazine. Um, and they didn't. And I didn't get like, get on the ball fast enough to like, get them to order it for me. It was a whole, there was a whole thing. One, the one day I tried to do it, there was like a Santa program happening and no librarians were available. It was a whole thing. And anyway, somehow I'm making that about my local library and not about my own, (laughs) like, timing and and uh uh memory so anyway i have not read the story michael you have um before before we get into the story i want to define multiverse very briefly not so much because as i've said anyone who is likely to be listening to the show is likely to not be familiar with it but like for our purposes i kind of want to define it so the multiverse concept as i Mm -hmm. understand comes out of like I want to say it comes out of like quantum physics or and or quantum mechanics sort of um, realms of physics and essentially describes the idea that 
due to some of our understandings of how time works and how sort of physical reality works, it's possible that each time someone makes a decision, uh, new realities are created. Two new realities mm-hmm. are created. One in which um, uh, you know, you made the decision one way and one in which you made it the opposite way. Um, mm-hmm. And this has to do with like the much beloved uh, uh, third host of this podcast, Schrodinger's Cat. Um, mm-hmm. who Michael in a normal episode I think is not allowed to talk about. Is that right? No, um, I don't think that's ever been made a rule. Oh, no. we I keep threatening to make it a rule to yep. the point that I thought I had. Anyway, um, who Michael one day soon may not be allowed to talk about. Um, <laughs> as soon as we come up with like a suitable like uh, Counter parallel rule. for me. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, the idea that like in a 50 person, you know, in a, in a experiment where there's a literal 50, 50 ch- chance a cat might die. One of the explanations for resolving the like, um, contradictions that, that this scenario seems to put into our understanding of physics and time is that there are just two universes, one in which the cat does live and one in which it dies. And mm-hmm. as this idea has been taken into fiction, especially science fiction, um, you know, it's it's been used all over the place, going way, way back um, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, posit universe, any number of things. And this is this is also why I wanted to define it a little bit, because there's kind of a spectrum of interpretations of the multiverse in fiction. Sometimes it's like any single decision that anyone makes, period, creates a new universe, which like, if you do, if you think about the math of that even a little bit, it's it just gets mind-boggling for yeah <laughs> for how many universes could be created. Um, and then on the other far end of the spectrum, you have a, a concept that at least to me kind of parallels the Doctor Who like fixed point in time idea, where it's like not necessarily every decision, but only major decisions or m- things that that sort mm-hmm. of are effective in a major way. Um, only they create new universes or there's like an effect where it's like there's like a but there's like a bunch of universes but only decisions that affect things in a really major way create a branch right so it's like right the universe where i have chocolate ice cream versus the one where i have vanilla those universes are so similar that they like maybe think about splitting or split for a second but then they merge back into each other or something like that um right there's there's a question of like and this is branching into like a related topic, yeah. Um, but somewhat separate, but like with time travel to like the butterfly effect. Yes, um, I was I was thinking versus of like butterfly effect also causing what already happened. You know, like it being already part of the narrative. Like it, it, it and it's almost like even beyond that. It's like um, it, it delves into the question of fatalism versus free will, right? to an extent with with this but in a sci-fi ish yeah well i think the the like the there in time so time travel stories obviously very closely related sometimes yeah direct you know sometimes a concept could be a multiverse concept or a time travel concept just depending on how you change the adjectives or whatever um but uh i think the the one trope the one science fiction trope of 
you know, you get in a time machine, you go back in time, you cause the thing that led up to you being in the time machine, so it's a closed system. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the anti-multiverse effect. Like, that's the only way to explain time paradoxes that doesn't at least flirt with the multiverse idea, if not, (laughs) you know, take it to the altar and get married. Um, Right. (laughs) So yeah, very closely related concepts. Um, Mm -hmm. But... You know, any any discussion like this uh, is fine on a, a theoretical level, but it's always more helpful to have um, concrete examples. Uh, one of which uh, Michael thought, found and I failed to um, be a good podcast partner by also reading. So I'm going to let you, Michael, <laughs> talk about this, uh, this story. Okay, um, so the story... Uh, is Entanglements by David Gerald, which I first encountered in uh, the Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine um, from uh, the issue of May and June of 2015. So it's seven and a half years old now. Um, still fairly recent, but yeah. um, nevertheless, um, uh, yeah. Just for the sake of precision, if anyone wants to look this up, is it the magazine that's officially called The Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction? Yes, that okay. is correct. Yes. The fa- the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, May-June of 2015. Which is still considered, um, I think, kind of one of the premier like sources mm-hmm. for shorter form science fiction fantasy stories. Um, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, now, bef- before I dive into this really quickly, Ethan, do you know who David Gerald is? Is that a name you're familiar with? I had not, no, I was not familiar with him before you uh, asked me about the story. Okay, did, did you subsequently research him at all? Um, or learn any about what he has done? Just to the effect of, like, learn it, like looking up some of the titles of some of his books. Okay. Um, now, so when I, when I got this uh, issue uh, of the magazine, I, I did not connect the name necessarily until I got to a certain page in the book. Um, and I, I'm saying this to defend myself against any of our listeners who might know me and know anything about me sure. uh, to say, I'm not bringing this for the reason that you might think I'm bringing this, <laughs> uh, on page 78 of the magazine. So like a lot of this centers around, uh, what is David Gerald's 70th birthday. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the thing about this story is it's, um, pseudo autobiographical. It's semi, um, personal essay. Um, but science fiction personal essay, sure. um, which is a fun thing that he, he does. Um, but, uh, he talks about the birthday cake for his 70th birthday party on page 78. And he says it had, it had been a custom cake portraying that scene from that episode of that TV series. Um, which is just like a whole lot of hedging there. Um, And then he says, Harlan Ellison had cheerfully eaten William Shatner's head. (laughs) Um, So uh, now do you know who Harlan Ellison is? Yes. Yes. He's a much more famous sci-fi author. Um, But there's a relationship there uh, between David Gerald and Harlan Ellison. And it is, yes, with that TV series of Star Trek. Right. Uh, And David Gerald 
wrote the episode The Trouble with Tribbles oh. <laughs> uh, for Star Trek. And so that is what he is referring to in sure. this. Um, now, Harlan Ellison also wrote an episode of Star Trek. Right. Uh, he wrote The City on the Edge of Forever. Um, but that was a famously contentious relationship that he had with Star Trek. Um, and so that's like some of the funny that's in here is having him eat William Shatner's head. Sure. Um, um, I, so. From what I, I, I haven't read very much Harlan Ellison. I've maybe read a few of his short stories, but from what I know of like the, the behind the scenes stuff of like science fiction writers of his time and, you know, just that whole world. Uh, it seems like he had a contentious relationship with pretty much everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And as he's as he's gotten older and more into the 21st century and uh, mm-hmm. mores and morals have moved on, he's become an increasingly controversial, not to say somewhat um, despised, at least in some quarters, kind of figure. Uh, but I, we, I'm not terribly surprised. Yeah, uh, it's you know, yeah. I don't. I, whatever you know, it's that's tangential to this story, obviously. But right. Um, but okay, so this is a pretty simple story. It, it's uh, like I say, it's it's semi personal essay, um, and goes on. How many pages is this? Um, doesn't really matter. About thirty thirty two pages okay. uh, altogether. Um, and centering, like I said, on his seventieth birthday party, which I think is. Um, it, it sets the stage for this multiversal theme that he's turning 70 um, and he he doesn't actually ever explicitly say that he's turning 70. He, he in fact, says at a certain point, um, celebrating his 50th birthday, albeit a couple decades late, <laughs> sure. um, uh, which is a fun thing. And that's like just part of his style. He, he's, he's very... Um, funny with his his verbiage and he talks about himself as a being a high verbal um, in a couple places here uh, where yeah on page 91 he says uh, he's a high verbal you look at the actual literal meanings of words before you look at how they were intended uh, I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble that way he says <laughs> um, and so uh, that's um, it, what what I mean to say is I think this is looking at kind of a crisis of identity and self and meaning uh, here at this milestone uh, where he's turned 70, looking back at his life um, and thinking, did I make all the best decisions? Um, am I in the best possible version of myself, possible, best possible universe for myself that I could be in? Um so the the story starts, the first line um, is just a, a standalone paragraph. It says, I am going to kill that pesky Dan Goodman. And pesky is capitalized. So I'm going to kill that pesky Dan Goodman. And then um, uh, pesky Dan Goodman gets abbreviated later on as pesky dang. <laughs> um, which, is, which is just fun. Um, now, I, I don't know terribly much about David Gerald's work outside of this story and uh, the two episodes of Star Trek uh, that he wrote. Sure. Um, but he's he's done several other titles. And at, I, I in in looking briefly online, I think Pesky Dang is a recurring character oh. in some of his stuff. <laughs> um, 
which is just delightful. And it, it seems as though he is an alien okay. <laughs> of some kind uh, here on, on our planet. What, what strikes me about this is that Dan Goodman has the same initials as David Gerald. So right. um, I think there's a, there's a, an intentionality in that anyway. Um, so uh, pesky dang is this uh, annoying character that uh, David Gerald is trying to brush off all the time. Um, but he just keeps coming and keeps showing up to things. And so he comes to his birthday party uninvited, but he comes bringing a giraffe. Sure. Like you do. <laughs> and so he can't turn him away. <laughs> it's like he brought the giraffe and everybody loves the giraffe. And so I can't tell him not to be here. Um, but he gives him a, a gift uh, at this birthday party. Um, and when he opens it, it looks like it's just a, a cell phone. It looks like a plain, um, but maybe maybe a little bit uh, weird design cell phone um and when he opens it uh pesky gang tells him just keep it in your pocket and you can look at it later and so he puts it in his pocket and forgets about it um until uh later uh then they talk about it uh again and um uh pesky comes and and uh asks him what he thinks it might be or asks him what he thinks of it and stuff and then explains what it is that it's not a phone he says it's called it's a parallelicon uh, and he goes on and says, a quantum resonator, a quacky talkie. Uh, and there are, I don't think any single name of this thing actually ever recurs. Uh, the last name you hear, uh, on the last page of the story is it's a trans-dimensional parallelophonic resonating transceiver. <laughs> um, so all these different names for this uh, nonsensical sci-fi device that is really just a device, like a plot device, um, to, to get to the point. So what he winds up doing with this thing, um, that you can pretty much just intuit what it is, uh, he plugs it into his computer to charge it up, and then the computer starts, uh, after a while, displaying some messages saying... Um, uh, nodes are active, and then there are a bunch of lines of texts... Uh, that occur, and it's uh, it starts, um, it says, Divergence 1949, uh, 05 active nodes, 11 inactive. Uh, and then Divergence 1963, 42 active nodes, 13 inactive. And it goes all the way down to 1992, uh, and then there's just an ellipsis. Uh, and it, each, each instance of this has active nodes, inactive nodes. Um, and what you find out through all of this is that it has tapped into his life and has gone back in time to see all of these points of divergence in creating multiverses. Um, and what's, what's gone on with this. Um, and the, the first clue to that fact is that he notes that none of them, sh there, there, there's nothing that shows up before his birth. Right. Um, does, does he then get to then, uh, communicate with these alternate selves somehow? You would think so, but no, he does not. Okay. Um, all he does, it turns into basically. Oh, what's that? Uh, what's that library device for, that lets you read a newspaper? Oh, um, um, wow, uh, microfilm, microfilm, microfilm. Reader. Basically, yeah. basically, that's that's what it turns into. Okay, um, but maybe a little bit more like twenty first century ish, uh, in the sense that it it like shows news stories and web pages. Uh, that give information about what that alternate universe is like. And he can just peruse these things, peruse these articles. Um, but it also has like um, almost a, a uh, an online file sharing hmm. feature to it too, 
where he can go in and see what alternate versions of himself have written mm. and he could download these things um and he he uh um contemplates actually doing this and then just like publishing all of these things that alternate versions of himself have written um in and he he contemplates the ethics uh, of this and like whether that's uh stealing or not <laughs> <laughs> whether that's plagiarism uh, or, right exactly whether he should go to plagiarism um, jail whether he should go to plagiarism jail, right? Um, so there, there, there's he he goes through a number of these. Um, most of it, most of it is really internal. He he thinks about this uh, internally uh, and what it means for himself. Uh, he he notes uh, one from um, 1949, um, the the one of the early uh, divergences there. Um, where he he remembers or he he notes that there are articles about uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act hiring dis- uh, discrimination and um, all sorts of things about uh, um, disabilities and um, uh, uh, ability uh, accessible um, parking and and buildings and things like that and what he remembers is that when he was um, five years old. He was uh, sitting on a corner curb where streetcars would turn uh, around really close. Um, And he remembered when he was a kid, uh, he was sitting down to watch the streetcar and then realized as it was coming close that it was going to run over his legs. And he pulled pulled himself back really quick to get out of the way. And so what he realizes is that these other nodes didn't pull back fast enough um, and lost, uh, lost their legs. And so became passionate about um, uh, these uh, handicapped spaces and, and, and uh, accessibility and things. Um, and so, like, that's a version of himself uh, that's out there. Um, doesn't spend a lot of time on that one before uh, moving on and seeing um, uh, <laughs> there, there, there's one uh, alternate universe where uh, Star Trek goes on for seven years. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the original series, uh, and it seems to be, and I think this might be a dig of some, some sort of thing because um, it seems to be because Gene Roddenberry died earlier of a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there, there's a lot of like that sort of humor sure. um, throughout this story, um, but so like a lot of different things like that. But it, it's not all about him and uh, changes in his life either. Uh, there are divergences in other instances as well, um, where uh, um, Kennedy uh, doesn't get assassinated. Okay. Um, and there's a big divergence there, and that like uh, how how that connects to him. So all of these divergences connect to him in some way, but they aren't necessarily caused by his choices which is an interesting um, feature of this. So in that instance, uh, JFK not getting assassinated means that JFK later then comes and visits the set of Star Trek with Apollo uh-huh. astronauts, and that causes the, the ratings of Star Trek to skyrocket. Um, and so it goes on even even farther uh, and, and so on and so forth. So he, he's got a lot of these different things of um, uh, stuff that occurs um, stuff that he writes uh, and things that he might think about stealing. He winds up feeling really humbled by a lot of this. Uh, But then uh, he also notices things that it doesn't have. Uh, Like 
uh, he has a son that he has adopted, and uh, he notices that that son doesn't exist in any of these other divergences. Um, and so, ultimately, the, so I, I'm going to kind of blitz on to the end of all of this, um, and he, he teases this early on, um, where he before he realizes what this device actually is and, and does, um, or, or even believes that it's real, um, he contemplates that maybe pesky dang had uh intended this as a, a thought experiment for him which is really what this whole right. essay is is kind of a thought experiment um and what it winds up being is uh finding contentment in the life that he has so this this whole concept of you know this um crisis of self uh turning 70 uh and what does my life actually mean what is it amounted to um, you can think of, uh, you know, psychology in, in that regard and the, the tears and, um, um, uh, who uh, is it? Maslow's, that, uh, Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, but he comes to, he, this, this whole story is kind of him working himself up to that, uh, place of contentment. Um, and he has this conclusion, um, uh, I'm trying to find exactly where it starts because it, it's uh, his his writing is really fun, um, and so it, it, and very stream of consciousness too. Um, but he gets to a point where he uh, walks inside uh, after he's just stepped away from the computer for a bit. Uh, he comes inside and puts a glass down on the sink and he says, "A satisfying glass on porcelain clink." Okay, I'd had my ten minutes of self pity. Fifteen, that was enough. <laughs> Alternate timelines are just another trap. A great big game of what if with teeth in it. But if there's one thing I've learned in the last seven decades, it's how to bite back and draw blood. This is who I am. This is the universe I live in. If I have to deal with this world, then it has to deal with me. The next time I look into the abyss, I intend the abyss to flinch. <laughs> um, and so like, there, there's more of that he goes on um, before finally um, coming back to, to Pesky a week later. Um, uh, and he has the box that the, this, uh, parallelicon came in, uh, and he hands it back, uh, and he opens it up and inside, it says inside were all the pieces of trans-dimensional parallelothonic resonating transceiver thoroughly hammered to bits. <laughs> uh, and then the, the last line is this dialogue. Sorry, pesky. I said, I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, well that's, that's not technically the last line because he has to have just a little bit of fun at the end where in italics, he has the author's afterword. Okay. And it says, this was, this was the only file I was able to download before the device overheated and the particles unentangled. <laughs> um, so turning the whole thing into, you know, this, this fun little, little joke too, sure. um, which, which itself is kind of a self-defense mechanism or a, a layer mm -hmm. of safety in examining this, this, I think, bigger question of what does my life mean, right. um, which is, I think, tying directly into um, some of the most useful concepts in multiversal fiction, sure. um, where it's uh, it, it's the, it's the contemplation of that what if question, um, and um, what if things were different? But ultimately, after that thought experiment of what if things were different, you do have to come back to this reality. Right. Um, and and say this is this is where I am and I have to deal with this. So, yeah. What do you think? <laughs> um, I want to read the story even more now. Uh, definitely 
good <laughs> need to actually follow through with uh tracking it down and and uh reading it um the only other thought that occurs to me specifically i guess is like the the idea like the multiverse idea is kind of a um it feels like a almost like a honeypot like something that's very mm. attractive and then when you get what you want out of it it turns out to not be what you want um mm-hmm. and we had this uh uh, article that I had sent to you um, from the New Yorker that just like happened to come out right around the time that you know we were starting to yeah. crack into uh, mid- the Midnight Library, which will be the subject of our mm-hmm. next uh, pair of episodes, um, which is obviously about multiverses, and that's what gave us the idea to do this whole show. I don't remember if I mentioned that super specifically yeah. in the intro. Um, and then, like, uh, mere days after we had kind of said, okay, this is going to be, you know, the next thing, whatever, um, the New Yorker ran an article called, Is the Multiverse Where Originality Goes to Die? Um, <laughs> and I want to come back to that article after I mention a couple of short stories that I had kind of thought um, I would maybe... Uh, uh, I had originally thought I would maybe bring them up in the Midnight Library episodes, but I think they fit here. Okay. Um, because uh, anytime I think about multiverses, two of the first things that come to mind are two short stories that I read like when I was in high school that have both stuck with me kind of hmm. um, for kind of a long time. And I got both of them out of an anthology um called the best alternate history stories of the 20th century um and very briefly for those not familiar alternate history is sort of a sub section or even a sub subsection of science fiction um that's like in its purest form it just posits okay xyz major historical event went the opposite way now what happens mm-hmm. um one of the one of the probably best known ones that's best known recently is the man in the high castle which was a philip k dick novel in mm-hmm. the in the 60s i think um recently got turned into a, a tv series um that posits like okay the nazis and the japanese win world war ii and like they invade the u.s and and the american continents and they split those up and like now it's 15 years later um and mm-hmm. i mean that one gets a little bit mystical and stuff because like there's a very pure version that's essentially would read like historical fiction where some of the facts are scrambled. And then Mm. as you get farther away from that version, you get into either fantasy tropes where it's like the world stays medieval and now there are also wizards. So it it gets very parallel with, you know, epic (laughs) fantasy or, you know, it, it goes into like science fiction concepts. And obviously this is a very like, um, uh, you know, maybe not even a kissing cousin, but a, a hardcore making out cousin with the idea of multiverse. Like, if you consider multiverse, Gross. thank you. Uh, if you consider multiverse stories a you know their own subgenre, then this would be a very close with one with lots of overlap. Um, yeah. So, uh, in and like at, you know, at the age of sixteen, when I was like reading this book, I was much more interested in the like pure version that. Um, now I'm tempted to call mm. boring and perhaps pedantic, but 
Um, <laughs> I was really annoyed that so many of these stories dealt with like far out themes and and you know actual like science fiction and fantasy <laughs> concepts. Um, but nevertheless, I've read I think pretty much the whole thing. I don't I don't know for sure, but um, two of the ones that stuck out to me uh, that I want to mention briefly. Um, the first one, the one that always comes to mind anytime uh, multiverses are brought up uh, is called All the Myriad Ways by Larry Niven. Um, those who don't know, Larry Niven is like a, you know, kind of one of the more well-known science fiction authors from like 60s, 70s, 80s period, I want to say. Um he still gets read. I don't think he's as big a name now. Um, but all the myriad myriad ways um, it f- reads kind of like, and this story was published in uh, late sixties, early seventies. Um, the, the uh, short story collection that it was in was published in 71. And I think it was published in a magazine shortly before that. So, um, but it's already sort of a, uh, a um, uh, they call it like a revisionist uh, uh, story in this genre where revisionist stories are like when there's an established set of tropes that like a reader would expect and then you invert those. So it relies on some, a genre already being established for you to kind of subvert. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, to use Wikipedia's phrase, which I just pulled up their article to jog my memory um they say the story can be read as a response to stories featuring the many worlds interpretation as a key plot point by taking the social implications of infinite realities to a depressing conclusion um and as i remember the main character in this story is a police detective who is um you, you know he's kind of in like a i'd call it like a 22nd century like Technology is advanced, society is advanced, everything's pretty slick, but it's not like the far, far future. Um, and it turns mm-hmm. out that part of what uh, the reason this civilization he's from is so advanced is that they've discovered how to navigate multiverses so that they like send people mm-hmm. either back in time or just to parallel timelines to extract resources from them and bring them back into this timeline. Mm-hmm. But... Um, one of the things that they, that gets talked about in that story is like, there's sort of a device that these, these timeline jumpers use. Um, and it's like a, it's described as like a radio, like, like dialing frequencies on a radio or something. Um, and they use that to like dial in a frequency for another timeline, hop over there, accomplish some sort of mission to do resource extraction, hop back. Well, you know, Niven in this one goes all in on like the 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 you know many worlds like the every decision is a branch timeline or a new mm, timeline mm-hmm. kind of thing, which means that by the time that these travelers have uh, hopped over to another timeline, and by the time they turn around and come back, there isn't just their timeline that they left because everything has branched and branched and branched. Mm. So they just have to kind of dial in a frequency that's like close to the one that they left and just make their best of it and hop there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the, the detective that's the main character of the story does not hop timelines, but he's been given to investigate what at first is, is, you know, a seemingly unrelated thing 
that there is a rash of suicides in the big city that he that he uh, um, mm. uh, is lives in, um, and it's like a statistically you know sharp incline in the number of suicides, um, and then other crimes are spiking mm. as well, and um, oh. yeah, so it's you know it's it's this very like like what's going on here well with all of the information that i just talked about and you know some investigating what he basically concludes is it's a result of having proven this many worlds theory to be true the the alternate timelines theory because what ah. he basically posits is like oh everyone's internalized the fact that it does the decisions i make don't matter um mm. like whatever decision that i make some other me is making the opposite decision. So if I'm suicidal, if I'm like, you know, at the top of a building or whatever it is, there's one me who throws themselves off and there's one me who doesn't. And it doesn't matter. You know, so it's like, it, it's using this, yep. this many worlds idea to like access like a, a pit of despair kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And in this, in his timeline or whatever, you know, you want to call it uh, where he is, since everyone knows this and has concrete yeah. proof of it, it just like leads to this epidemic of despair, um, which is kind of like a sociological version of sort of what what entanglements is doing. Sure. I think, um, you know, the idea that like we almost don't want this to be true, and if it is true, we don't want to have access to it, and almost that there's a reason, right? You know, that this uh, uh, mm -hmm. comes into being. Um, it's kind of so yeah, before you yeah. go on to your next one it strikes me as kind of the flip side of um the play down the rabbit hole i know the that title one? that's all i know um i saw it years ago um and it's it's dealing it's a play that deals with grief um it centers on this couple um i believe they're selling their house um, but the, the struggle is that, that their son died some time prior, um, in a, um, I think he got hit by a car sure. or something. He was some, something young like that, but it was, it was, um, so fairly traumatic for them and they're trying to, to deal with this. And the, the resolution comes about with basically a sure. multiverse theory that there's a universe in which he didn't die. And so they like live on in like trying to take comfort in the idea that there's a universe where he is still sure. alive. So it like what you're talking, like that story by Larry Niven seems to be kind of the flip side of that. Like, not, like yes, there, there's a universe where he didn't die, but also there's, yeah, a universe where yeah, he did. So, like, <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting. Cause yeah. it is, it really does bring out the, like just complete ambiguity that you can get to depending on, you know, how you take mm -hmm. this, this theory and this idea. Um, now, the other story that I want to mention just very, very briefly, I don't think it's actually super relevant other than being another multiverse-related story. Um, mm -hmm. But, excuse me, there's a... a um, in the same collection that was published in 2001, there's a story by uh, Greg Bear who um i thought i had a date on here uh can't necessarily find it i want to say it was maybe published in the 60s though the, i have i have a 
an archive like bibliography page for it pulled up and the earliest I can find for it is 1985. Um, so somewhere in there. Um, it, so this, this story by Greg Bear is called Through, Through Road No Wither. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, as I recall, and I didn't find like a super detailed summary. So this is 33 year old me remembering a story I read, you know, 18 years ago. Um, so, you know, if any listener knows a detail I got wrong, uh, please feel free to correct me. But as I recall the story, <laughs> it takes place sort of in a similar timeline to the man in the high castle, like a world where Germany ha- or, you know, the, the Nazis have won world war two. They've kind of taken over everything maybe mm. in, you know, in with their, their, uh, Axis friends and kind of divided up the world. And it's like the, the world of dis- despair think, and like late 20th century and on that's like a oh yeah popular like i would node. i would guess <laughs> that if you and it would probably be an impossible task but if you lined up every like alternate history multiverse hopping you know any of those related stories i would guess that fully 50 percent of the pie chart would be you know world war ii related and the other 50 percent would be all of the rest of history it it just yeah. hit me that the episode that Harlan Ellison wrote of Star Trek actually like is tangentially about exactly that. Oh. Germany oh, winning World War Two. Like Yeah. <laughs> that that features in the epi- oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's full great. circle. That's anyway, amazing. go on. <laughs> um Yeah, anyway, so in this one, uh as I, it's a very short one in the collection, as like it's one of the shortest ones in the collection as I recall, but it just features um, two, you know, Nazi officers stopping to talk to a, um, I think in the story she's called a gypsy because, like, it's from 40 to 60 because years ago. It is. Um, <laughs> you know, now we'd, we'd call them Romani, um, but, you know, a Romani woman, uh, who, you know, and, and there's, as I recall, probably a lot of the kind of, like, gypsy stereotypes of her being very mystical and mysterious and Uh and so forth and um Mm -hmm. these nazi officers in the course of of uh uh asking for directions from her do manage to work in a lot of you know nazi racist stuff and nazi like um oh good you know their 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 scientific racism stuff their their eugenical stuff and you know some of this this kind of thing um you know and and just kind of humiliate her and bully her for a while um and then as i recall she just kind of responds with like uh sort of a monologue that's like clearly her seeing into our timeline because she's she's she says Mm -hmm. i as i recall it's a series of statements to the effect of like i see blah 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 and the only one i remember specifically is her saying and this is very much paraphrasing so don't at me but um, it was something to the effect of, I see a, a funny little man uh, dance around a stage mocking your Fuhrer or something. It was clearly a reference to the producers. Um, and, yes. <laughs> uh, and she kind of like, you know, in, in like in the in the world of the story that these guys inhabit, like, it seems like this woman is crazy and just, you know, sort of, a- of a- acting as as a... a 
um, you know, defeated people sometimes do being delusional or whatever. Um, but it like, also, I think mm. I want to say, if I remember right, it kind of rattles them and they leave. And then the last bit of the story is the, the woman alone in this hut. Um, and she pulls out like a, like a powder or something. And her last line of dialogue is something to the effect of like, I will, something to the effect of like, I will, uh, I will have my vengeance, um, not just on any timeline, but on all timelines. And she like dissolves this powder into the ground and like the world like starts to dissolve around her. And the implic the strong implication is that like, she's God um, that God has manifested on this timeline oh. in the form of a, you know, Romani woman. And, um, but it's this manifestation to like curate timelines, the idea that there are like certain ones that are just so far gone that they just have to be rolled back up. And it's like, um, and Greg Bear, I've read some yeah. other stuff by him that like, I don't feel like he's necessarily, I could be wrong, um, but I feel like he's not necessarily always that religious. Like, um, you know, I don't, he's, he's not like a C.S. Lewis or anyone like that, where it's like, he's known as a religious writer. I don't think, um, I don't know a ton about him, so I could be wrong about that, but, um, but it was just an interesting idea in the sense that like often the multiverse is posited as like a replacement for God somehow. And like the idea of bringing, you know, a godlike figure back into this idea that you know it just was interesting to me even just on a storytelling level like not you know just not necessarily commenting on my own beliefs or anything but just that that idea i think stuck with me um so those those are a couple really interesting ones and especially the uh larry niven story just has always stuck with me as something mm -hmm. i think about anytime alternate universes anytime multiverse stuff comes up because like to me in some senses like the the completely infinite branching universes story is boring um because because of a lot of the themes that we've well, already yeah. the, the larry niven conclusion is like right that's exactly. the conclusion and, to that yeah and to concept. me it's like anytime i encounter a an a, a multiverse story like I'm thinking about it in comparison to that story and like in what ways within the world of the story are we staying away from that conclusion? And usually Right, you have to ignore it. You have to you have to shut Or you have to build your story world in such a way that you somehow account for it and like keep the story interesting yeah. without going there. And usually it's just like the idea that instead of it being like a radio band of every single branching decision that somehow mm -hmm. You have to posit, at least, again, in your fictional world, you have to posit some sort of, like, cohesion or glue to the universe where yeah. even with this effect, this this branching effect happening to some degree, it also doesn't happen to other degrees. Like, you're not special enough to have a universe created when you choose chocolate instead of vanilla or whatever. Right. So I like, yes. I have a couple of thoughts uh, about that. One one is like so um, I saw a special or a documentary thing with Stephen Hawking years ago where he was talking about time, um, and he like he claimed to disprove the possibility of time sure. travel in it, and the way he did that was by inviting any future time traveler to come into his right. room at that moment, 
and it didn't happen. And so sure. there was no time travel. Um, so like, but that's like related to, and you know, we can poke whatever logical holes <laughs> we want to in that. Don't worry. Um, I was already starting but, to think uh, about that's that, re- but go on. <laughs> related to this concept of like the absolutely infinite multiverses um, would mean that every single possibility exists which means that there is a universe in which someone has been able to invade right. all other universes, including this one, and that like anything that could destroy multiverses has happened, and therefore the right. multiverse can't exist. Um, so, so like it, it logically destroys itself. Um, so that's my first thought. I had another thought. What was my other thought? Shoot. Shh. Oh no, I got it. Um, so. Um, Related also to that, that uh, so Star Trek uh, is is one of those places that I'm sure. coming back to now again, uh, where multiverses have been a thing um, pretty much since the, the get-go. Um, Mirror Mirror is a classic uh, Star Trek original series episode that deals with the multiverse, and it, that one has been riffed on sure. constantly. Um, Star Trek Discovery is uh, the one of the new series that's based on basically sure. that episode of Well, of, and I uh, don't know if... If Mirror Mirror is an example of this, but like the whole like alternate universe with the show's evil twins has been a trope like at least since mm-hmm. Star Trek, you know, came out uh, and right, often which, is so like thematically related. and thinking literarily about this too. What that winds up doing is it forces um, the characters uh, and the audience then to deal with personal demons like. What evils am sure. I capable of? Is is kind of the the question of that. Um, but um, so, but uh, in the next generation, there's an episode okay. called Parallels, which deals with um, parallel universes, and it's Worf, I believe, who through some sci-fi <laughs> mumbo jumbo winds up um, hopping multiverse, hopping universes, um, and is like there's there's some like tear and stuff that they need to to repair and stuff. Um, but it all culminates in this one event where everyone like that, where the enterprise goes to this one location and it's, it's centered around three versions of the enterprise, um, that are there. Um, but then like all these other ships just like start popping up in the same place. Uh, and the, the worry, like they're, they're like at a certain point, because it's infinite at a certain point, the ships are going to start piling into the same space as one another and the explosion is going to destroy everything and so like so like that fact like that conclusion really acknowledges Mm -hmm. this problem of the multiverse that like if it's really infinite you're going to destroy everything (laughs) um by being unmeasurable it's going to ultimately become zero um but even within that concept, too, like, there are not necessarily evil versions, but there's, like, uh, a version of the Enterprise that has, uh, where the Borg won, basically. Oh, sure. Uh, early, in an earlier season. And so, like, they're trying to survive, and they're like, no, you don't know what we're dealing with. We can't go back. We need to, like, do something else. And so, like, there's, and it, it comes late. So, like, it's it's maybe a weak point in the story itself. But, like, that that also is um, that, that feature there. Uh, of yeah. the, the personal conflict of like what am I capable of depending on different yeah. circumstances anyway. um, well it, a thought that has just occurred to me for no reason like did it come at this point and it probably should have occurred to me 
right at the beginning or when I was defining multiverses. It's just as an audio disclaimer, uh, neither Michael or I are claiming to understand the actual like quantum physics and, and other like scientific <laughs> understandings of multiverses. We're just talking about it as, you know, our own logic leads us and mostly as like a literary device or a storytelling right. device. So and, like, from um, what if I anyone has of the been drafting... Too... If anyone has been drafting a an angry email about how bad we did about all of the science so far, just like yes. delete that because like we know or we right. figured anyway. But like from what I understand of the theory too, I, I want to mention is that like the the idea is if the multiverse did exist, based on the nature of the science, because it's science, and there I am using just like it's it's just the science. Right. Um, it would be impossible to to move from one to another. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that, yeah, I, like, yeah, th yeah. This is just me making clear that the whole idea of like, so you know, moving I, from one to the, another or any like is purely theoretical at this point. Like right. our our science would obviously have to be way more advanced. So this is very much a, um. What sometimes gets called soft science fiction in the sense that like you can't you can't make it plausible. You just have to kind of accept it. It's like a suspension of disbelief thing rather than like a extrapolation from from current science, at least not a direct one. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's just a, just an audio disclaimer. Yes. Um, I do want to mention one more thing really quick before yes, you move please. on here, Ethan. Yes. Um, you were talking about uh, Greg Bear, uh, and I looked yeah. him up quick. Uh, he did die in November of this year. Oh wow! So, uh, I don't know what that means, but it's got to mean something, right? It's significant. Um, yeah, clearly. <laughs> uh, so I had mentioned this New Yorker article, and we're like yes. right up against our time here. So I think what I want to do is just quote the beginning of it, and then recommend it if anyone is like hmm. interested in this concept and especially interested in it as like it plays into recent popular media as opposed to mm -hmm. like stories from 2015 or the 70s or the 60s or whatever um mm -hmm. because again like you know there, there's so much here we'll never uh we'll never sort of even touch on all even a, a joke version of all of it but um this article was published in the new yorker november 7th 2022 issue um and as i mentioned earlier the uh title is is the multiverse where originality goes to die um mm -hmm. and the subtitle or the slug line i guess whatever that's called um uh, the concept helps entertainment companies like Marvel Studios recycle old characters, but it can also unlock new kinds of storytelling. Um, and I just want to quote the um, uh, the first paragraph, I think, of it, a thing I can say in this episode because it's a special. Um, <laughs> or maybe the first... Yeah, it, so I'll quote parts of the first two paragraphs, I guess. Great. So the opening says, In 1941, Jorge Luis Borges published The Garden of Forking Paths, a short story in which a spy travels to the home of an English scholar. They, there they discuss an odd book by the spy's great-grandfather, Sui Pen. And I have no idea if I'm saying that right. I don't even know what, like, 
you know nationality it is or if it's a made up one by Borges, but I yeah. just apologize. Good, good. Um, rather than follow a single plot, the book aims to explore countless storylines. Quote, in all fictional works, each time a man is confronted with several alternatives, he chooses one and eliminates the others, the scholar says. In the fiction of the almost inextricable Sui Pen, he chooses simultaneously all of them. He creates, in this way, diverse futures, diverse times, which themselves also proliferate and fork. End quote. Uh, Borges devoted most of his story to explaining the complicated idea that many different realities can coexist in a maze-like web of timelines. Um, mm-hmm. Audio ellipsis here, down farther down in that second paragraph. The story invites the reader to imagine what else other than the world we know might be possible. But the spy ultimately wonders whether if everything that can happen does happen, any choice is really worth making. Mm-hmm. So this is a story from 44 that, you know, predicts the the uh, Larry Niven story that I mentioned yep. earlier that comes multiple decades later. Um, it feels like it ties in with entanglements. Um, yeah. You know, so, so yeah, this, this idea, like, the, the article kind of, kind of says that, like, okay, yeah, first sentence of the third paragraph, so immediately after what I just quoted, if Borges were alive today, he would, he could call his garden a multiverse and be done with it. So, like, <laughs> all of the tropes that we've talked about, or at least a bunch of them, are, like, so old that they predate even the naming of the the concept of the multiverse. Right. And that's not to, mm-hmm. you know, dismiss or discredit any of these ideas or any of the, the fiction we've talked about. It's just to say that, like, there is something, like, very fundamental and deeply rooted here to the point that, like, it, it, Borges published a story in 1944 and we're still talking about the concepts or 41 rather. And we're still talking about the concepts and, you know, a book that I think, when was the midnight library published? I want to say it was the last five years. Yeah. Um, Really, really recent. Maybe the last two years. Um, I've got a 2020. Oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, like the fact that that concept has that kind of staying power yeah. probably tells us something i i don't claim to yeah. know exactly what and you know probably in fact it probably tells us many things that would take um well, you know a lot I, of time to elucidate um but i just thought that was interesting and michael i'm gonna yes. let you uh i'm gonna let you comment before we close out yep. here but the only other but, thing i want to say about that article is just like if you know you're less familiar with some of the stuff we talked about or you know, if you want to get kind of a primer on multiverses and the multiverse idea, especially as it goes into to comics and from comics into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, something mm-hmm. we could have easily touched on and just just haven't. Could, have. um, could, <laughs> could do another whole special on that if we wanted in to. In another universe, we did. Yeah. Uh, in another universe, this is a six-hour podcast and we talk about, <laughs> you know marvel and michael moorcock and all his many branching universes and yeah yes um anyway just just to say like i'll I'll link to the article in the show notes and like sort of as another place setting article for something like the midnight library uh this would be a a great one um michael you i think had some thoughts you were sitting a couple yeah so um with how old this is 
this concept. I think, um, I, I don't know about the science, you know, just to, to harken back to what you were saying yeah. uh, earlier, but I think the concept predates the science. Um, uh, I don't know if it's, it's as old as the forties, but um, even there. Um, and the, I, I think it speaks to something that is, uh, deeper in general. And that's just the, the grief of choice, Mm -hmm. um, that in personal life, every time an individual makes a choice, it is the loss of other choices. And so there's always that question of what if, what, what would happen if I had done the opposite? Mm -hmm. Um, would my life be different, different that, that woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda is multiverse. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and so that, that, that concept is, is definitely present. I think it's, it's probably, I think it's ancient. I, I think that this, this concept is, is totally ancient. Um, it's been years since I've read like Ovid's Metamorphoses, but um, I think in there, um, to their, their concepts of like, what if I were different? Sure. Um, and what would I have things been, be like there? I've been wondering about that exact question, actually, because it's like, in some ways, especially the way, not to jump ahead, but the way mm-hmm. it's expressed in the Midnight Library, it seems like kind of a modern phenomenon, especially if you mm-hmm. think of modern in terms of like the last 400 years. Um, sure. But also like the last, say 40 years um, as the internet and, and other things like that accelerate mm-hmm. these kind of perceptions because I was like thinking back, like if you were a peasant in the 1200s in feudal England, for example, it's like how, how many branching multiverses could there be? Like you, you know, uh, mm-hmm. did, did you marry Brunhilde or did you marry, uh, I don't know, some other medieval sounding name, you know, like, there are times and places and like whole cultures and, and moments in history where it feels like um, this concept wouldn't have resonated. Not that, you know, no, sure. Not that you couldn't conceive from our perspective of like, well, there's a, a universe where that peasant, you know, through some set of accidents or daring risks that he took became the king or, you know, something like that. But, mm-hmm. um, it feels like there's a reason that this resonates so much in like the last, say, I mean, since say the forties, since world war two and, and I... there, but that's not to say it's like, that's, it might sound like it's trying to like argue against your last point, And I don't mm. mean it that way. Um, no, because, I, I don't, like, I don't take it that way, but I think that, um, that concept of choice and alternative, um, even though it's fundamental mm-hmm. in some ways in that, in that as humans, we probably yep. always imagined alternatives. It also feels like culturally rooted in some ways in like what your cultural imagination either encourages or even allows you to think of. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think part of that, you know, you talk about a peasant in the 12th century, right. Um, versus today. Right. Um, and not only like how many branches are possible, but how many branches do I have the luxury to investigate? Um, yeah, or, or even I, I, the privilege you know, to potentially investigate. 
Yeah, sure. I, and so, you know, n- nowadays with our uh, first world problems, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's it's easier to perhaps um, think about all of the possibilities and, and delve into all of the what ifs and possibly even get lost into it, which like is maybe the uh, extreme of escapism right um in in literature you know which you can take every book as a as a what if you know, <laughs> right. every fiction is, right, right. is a what if every fiction is a multiverse um uh, and so there's there's a, a a luxury in in that aspect um versus you know the 12th century peasant who has to keep working in order for his family to survive he doesn't necessarily have the luxury of thinking what if the what if is what if i don't finish this job i'm doing right now and don't get the food to feed my family um <laughs> though uh and this is just maybe just pedantic but um yeah 12th century peasants it has been in in feudal systems it has been proven worked fewer hours per week than uh the average mm. modern american um and had more t- more days off per year but you oh, know snap. structurally like your your argument yeah. still makes sense like they just were not in a society that was constructed to give them even the possibilities that like right. ours does for example but like the question then becomes is that a good thing necessarily because again sure you know we, we have our our larry niven story and, and our uh, our uh, gerald story to um cue us to the idea that like infinite choices leads to potentially infinite despair and not the other way you know mm-hmm. not the opposite that you might think um and the other thing i was going to say is that like i don't want to fall into the the progressivist fallacy of like oh 12th century peasants you know there's a straight line upward from yeah. there to us because i think your example of ovid is pretty valid in the sense that like people who were the 10% of society in ancient Rome that were not slaves um, probably had a much more diverse set of choices than the 12th century peasants. So in some ways they're more parallel to us now, you know, so these, these historical things go in like waves or, or cycles. They don't necessarily go in straight lines. Another, um, connected concept that just occurred to me is um a text that cites the metamorphoses sure um from but from the um what 16th century late 16th maybe uh, yeah i think late 16th century is um dr faustus by christopher marlowe oh sure um and the pretty much the whole temptation there that mephistopheles gives to faustus is choice yeah um and, and like, like the, these are these are all of the things possible for you right the the um, possibility he the temptation is literally him mephistopheles handing him uh the choice to be free in his choices from the constraints of time and space and like exactly. the the concept doesn't look exactly like we'd think of multiverse but like can like thematically and conceptually it it is yeah very similar absolutely but but the conclusion is also the same as every multiversal story um which the that that new yorker article touches on right at the end too Mm -hmm. and it's that like it all resolves down into one um the it it all comes down into one that the there's only one timeline that ultimately matters right in 
<clears throat> every multiversal story. And whether that's the, the original one or the one that the hero winds up in at the end, there, there's one that matters. And yeah. that's that's it. And it's the same with Dr. Faustus in that negative sense, um, kind of related to the, the Larry Niven story where, like, I haven't read it, but I'm assuming that the only one that ultimately matters is the one where that detective uh, is present. Um, and, like, the, it's a tragedy that all these people have died. But the, the, the reality for Faustus is ultimately that he is stuck in this reality where he has sold his soul to the devil and now he's condemned to hell forever. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was trying to remember how the Larry Niven story ends. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't say for sure that it was like the detective himself preparing to commit suicide, but it was like that level of despair where the detective was just like, mm. oh, nothing I do matters either. You know, yeah. and at, at that point it's either a, a keep trucking on or don't, but mm -hmm. like, yeah, it, the, um, yeah, the fundamental thing that this gets at is that, like, what or one of them, anyway, is that, like, more choice is not inherently good, not an inherently mm -hmm. good thing. Um, right. Which, of course, is, like, when you take it to the opposite extreme is how tyrants and, and um, mm -hmm. authoritarians uh, get into power, manipulating that idea. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's... it's Let uh, it be known, this podcast is pro-tyrant. No. Um... That's something Michael said? <laughs> That's it. End of statement. Um, no, but it relates back to entanglements. Yeah. Right, with David Gerald, the, the conclusion is like, there are all these possibilities, but this is what matters. This is the reality that right. I am currently in. Right. Um, and so like for, for all of those in the Larry Niven story who, um, you know, committed suicide, um, right. They, they didn't get to that conclusion. Right. That this matters. Um, they they didn't reach that right um result so that's that's the the difference i think um and ultimately the conclusion of every multiversal point is you know you got all of these possibilities but this is what matters which in a a literal literary or literal um standpoint is uh, you know, when you think about possibility, which is part of this whole multiversal thing and Schrodinger's cat, you know, it's all based in possibility. Possibility is what the multiverse is. Um, it, it you, you think about the, the possible, but then you just have to make the decision. Right. And that's what matters. Right. Is this decision going forward. Right. Um, I don't think we're going to find a better place to, uh, end on certainly not in a timely manner um anything else you were burning to say michael i don't think so um we'll have more to talk about when we get to uh, midnight library yeah and i assume we may digress into other multiverse related you know story artifacts and so forth um yeah as we as we go but uh in the meantime gentle listener if you do read the midnight library uh after this one goes up but before the next one does um or anytime uh please feel free to send us your thoughts at tapestry tapestryradio.org slash scotch cast um or in the contact section of tapestry radio um that's where you send general thoughts uh at slash scotch cast um a pretty wild uh 
thing to have to say when you've been drinking brandy for over an hour. Um, <laughs> you, uh, uh, there you can find the form to send us homework. We gave you a specific invitation earlier, but um, as a general invitation, homework past, homework present. Um, you could make up some homework. We wouldn't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. What are we going to do? Go check with your high school or your your college? We're not, yeah. We're not, we're, pfft, yeah. Pfft. Why would you even say that, gentle listener? Um, Gosh, why would that thought even enter your head? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Give us some homework. We will do it in the sense that we will ignore anything we hate. Um, <laughs> disclaimer. Uh, if you feel like we've ignored you, it may also be that we just, like, are very good at doing things in a timely manner. Um, so with that set of ambiguities, uh, we invite you to check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. Um, there's, uh, Intermission, our audio drama podcast. There is our other book podcast, Freddy Goes to a Podcast, which features me, Michael, and our friend Josiah, three grown men, uh, reading the Freddy the Pig children's novel series. Um, there's Pokemon Rollout, our Pokemon Tabletop United actual play RPG podcast. Um, thank you, Michael. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Am I what? What? Which podcast am I forgetting, Michael? Uh, Us play Fiasco, the actual play RPG Fiasco improv podcast. Yes. Um. And. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to promote, Michael, or anything I've forgotten? I don't think so. Uh, same here. I also don't think I've forgotten anything. Um, and that said, uh, thank you for listening. Join us for reading The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Did I get that right? I think so. Good enough. <laughs> I'll put a link in the in the show <laughs> notes that will get you to the correct book either way. Um, and yeah, until next time, just remember it's our party and in some universe we'll cry in some universe. We won't in some universe, our fingers are made out of hot dogs and Mm -hmm. in some universe, uh, Michael's nice to me. Um, and in all universes, we eat William Shatner's head. Yep. Uh, that's because it's our party and we'll, yeah, do the thing. Uh, thanks. We love you. Bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.